Hi, folks. Thanks for listening to Patient Zero. This week, we're doing something a little different. Instead of a full episode, you're getting one of several bonus episodes that up until now have only been available to donors of New Hampshire Public Radio. We wanted you to hear this one for three reasons. One, because you deserve to know how awesome our bonus episodes are. Two, because the topic addressed in this episode is one that a lot of people who haven't donated have asked about. It's important. And three, because I needed a couple extra days to finish the next full episodes. This show is a lot of work, and we're committed to doing the best and most thorough job possible. So thanks for listening, and if you dig this bonus episode, check out the others by making a donation of $20. There's a link in the show notes. Up here in the Northeast, Lyme disease scares people. It scares them so much, I've heard parents talking about not letting their kids go out in the woods. I heard a woman once waffle over whether her grandkids should be allowed in their backyard. People want some kind, any kind, of protection. One of the questions that I am asked almost more than anything else, uh, why can my dog be vaccinated against Lyme disease, but I can't? Why can't they come up with a human version? And of course the answer is, we have a human version, or we had a human version. Megan May teaches about infectious disease at the University of New England. And she's here to tell us the story of Limerix. Limerix is the vaccine developed by the giant multinational pharmaceutical company GlaxoSmithKline that was released in 1998 but pulled from the market in 2002. The development of Limerix was a really interesting point in, um, in vaccine technology because it was among the first human vaccines that was approved for use that was completely synthetic. A synthetic vaccine, faster to make, easier to control. Need a quick vaccine refresher, by the way? Vaccines work by stimulating your immune response, usually by injecting a tiny amount of dead or weakened pathogen into your blood. But Limerix was different. It was the first of what we would call kind of a smart vaccine. Remember how in the third episode, we told you that the Lyme spirochete is covered with a tiny forest of spikes? called outer surface proteins? Spikes, or, or I think I would say it's more like a forest. Well, don't ask me on the specifics of how, but the creators of Limerix isolated one of those proteins and then genetically engineered a bunch of E. coli bacteria to produce it. And you have given them this one gene that encodes this one protein that you want to make, and you grow giant fermenter tanks full of it, and you just let those organisms sit back and just kick out a ton of that protein, and then you purify it, and that becomes your vaccine. Sounds so simple when she says it, doesn't it? Well, here's another fact about the vaccine that seems too good to be true. The researchers picked an outer surface protein that does the dirty work before the bacteria even gets into your body. The second the tick takes blood from an immunized person, the antibodies in that immunized person's blood are going to bind up the spirochetes inside the tick so it never even would get into the infected person. By the way, Megan says that feature, it was not intentional. No, it was an accident. (laughs) One of the world's first synthetic smart vaccines, a marvel of modern medicine. There were, however, drawbacks, significant ones. It took three shots before you were fully immunized. It wasn't approved for kids under 15. And it was kind of expensive and not covered by insurance. But 
it worked. The vaccine was somewhere between 78 and 92 percent effective. And in those cases, the Lyme bacteria never even got out of the tick. So what happened? While we all look forward to spring in many parts of the country, the outdoor season has an added peril now. It's Lyme disease, a debilitating illness that is difficult to guard against because it is carried by tiny ticks. There is a vaccine, but as NBC's chief science correspondent Robert Bazell reports tonight, now there are reports of serious side effects. What happened to the Lyme vaccine? As is so often the case in Lyme world, the vaccine was a victim of history, a casualty of circumstance. It was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So why did it go away? And what would it take to bring it back? In this bonus episode, we'll tell you. I'm Taylor Quimby, and this is Patient Zero. So what happened to Lyme Ricks? As you might have guessed after hearing that news clip, some people who got the vaccine started to complain of side effects. Jenny Mara has this advice for people considering getting it. Don't. It's not worth it. I would, we, you would be better off getting Lyme disease. The side effects weren't the sort of thing you might expect from a vaccine, a sore arm and a light passing fever. Rather, these side effects actually sounded a little bit like Lyme disease. The reports stated that these patients were having sudden onset arthritis, and the reports were associating that with having received doses of Limerix. How much has it changed your life? I don't have a life anymore. But these reports were coming from news stories and from physicians who were already skeptical of the mainstream science on Lyme disease. They weren't coming from scientists. So we're talking about in the media or patients reporting to physicians. Dr. Charlene DeMarco, an osteopathic physician who specializes in treating Lyme disease, says she often sees people with terrible permanent reactions to the vaccine. I know of at least 700 that have been hurt by this vaccine. It's a, actually a really important point that we, that we weren't seeing reports in medical literature um, that were based on studies that were done on, on population levels. So that's actually a really important point. And many medical experts point out that individual stories, no matter how powerful, do not prove cause and effect. Anecdotes in medicine and epidemiology are tricky business. Of course, it is important to listen to patients, but the range of patient experiences is vast. And in order to know anything for sure, careful studies have to be conducted to ensure that there isn't another explanation for the problems. Because later on, of course, studies were done because if this were if this were a side effect that were that was causing harm to patients, everybody of course wanted to know about that. In the case of Limerix, studies did not support the idea that the arthritis that some people were experiencing actually had to do with the vaccine. No large study has found a danger with the vaccine. But a panel of experts that advises the FDA found the story so compelling that it asked the agency to carry out a large-scale investigation of possible harmful effects of the vaccine. 
Following the negative media attention, the FDA and the CDC went back over their data. They found that only 59 cases of arthritis had been reported to a federal database that tracks reactions to vaccines. 59 out of one and a half million. Yes, some patients did have sudden onset arthritis after being immunized. However, the rate that that happened was no different than the general population's rate of sudden-onset arthritis. In other words, it looked like a coincidence. The number of people who suddenly got arthritis after taking the vaccine was the same as the number of people who suddenly get arthritis in normal daily life. Humans are hardwired to look for connections, and so that sort of coincidence has a way of sounding fishy. But this sort of thing can happen when millions of people are taking a drug or a vaccine. Just to be safe, the company designed a follow-up study that would closely track 75,000 recipients of the Limerix vaccine. But sales were plummeting, and they were only able to recruit a fraction of the study participants they were hoping for. At this point, there were larger forces in motion. Another story that was inadvertently tanking the Limerix vaccine. Mid-90s was where we had that publication from Andrew Wakefield. You may have heard of this publication. Sometimes it's called The Lancet Study. And it's infamous. The pub that shall not be named, that's the one. The study claimed to have found a link between autism and the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. It was later retracted, and it was even revealed the author had committed fraud, distorting the data so it would prove his point. But the damage was done. It really exploded onto the public scene, and you suddenly had people who were hyper-aware and extremely concerned and really just doubting the the safety and efficacy of vaccines. And, And then at that same moment, you have, oh, and this new one, this causes arthritis. This was a key moment in the anti-vaccine movement. Limerix, this innovative new vaccine using a new technology involving a genetically engineered E. coli and specific synthetic proteins, it could not have come at a more fraught time. Lawyers for patients who believed the vaccine had given them arthritis filed a class action lawsuit. The media frenzy ratcheted up. Sales took a nosedive. Just, it was more, well, more trouble than it was worth. And so... They said, just forget it, we're pulling it off the market. The class action suits against the manufacturer ended the way a lot of class action lawsuits do, by the way. The company settled, admitted no wrongdoing, the patients never saw a dime, but the lawyers collected over a million dollars in fees. If there are lessons to be learned from this fiasco, now's the time to learn them. There's a new Lyme vaccine being developed by a French company, which mimics the same protein as Limerix, and has been put on the fast track by the FDA. Another treatment, called Lyme Prep, is in the works as well. Essentially, it's synthetic antibodies that you'd get injected every year, and it could be on the market by 2022. Mark Klempner at the University of Massachusetts Amherst is behind Lyme Prep. To me, the most important lesson learned is is to keep everybody well informed of what you're doing, what you know, when you know it, all of those kinds of things, because that's how you build trust. But there's something bigger here that needs to be absorbed. It's not just that researchers need to be transparent. If my reporting on Lyme has revealed anything, it's that the slow and iterative process of epidemiology leaves dissatisfied patients in its wake left and right even if it gets the right answer in the end. Which means maybe medicine needs to find a new way to relate to patients. 
needs to learn to speak their language. If I were in charge of making a policy for a new Lyme disease vaccine, a perspective that I would almost certainly draw on is my perspective as a mom. It's not just that I would have to say, this is an appropriate decision for children between the ages of 5 and 10. I would have to say, is this what I want for my 5 and 10-year-old? And how can I explain this to the other moms of their 5 and 10-year-old friends? And I think that piece is sometimes missing. But it's a really, honestly, it's, it's a really important one. One of the things I've learned in reporting this series is that a lot of diagnoses that people get, erythema migrans, erythema circinatum, patellar effusion, they're just Latin names for symptoms. Migrating rash, circular rash, swollen knee. Fancy words that preserve the aura of medical authority, but don't actually give patients the information they need to make a choice. And I think as scientists, we used to have that kind of built-in credulity. People tended to give the suggested guidelines the benefit of the doubt. And I don't think that's the world we live in anymore, quite honestly. Like it or not, we live in Lyme world now, and ignoring it won't make it go away. This bonus episode of Patient Zero was produced and reported by Sam Evans-Brown and me, Taylor Quimby. Sam Evans-Brown is Patient Zero's senior producer. Erica Janik is executive producer. Graphics by Sarah Plord. Maureen McMurray is director of content. If you've got questions, concerns, or comments about Patient Zero, we want to hear from you. Email us at patientzero at nhpr.org. Patient Zero's theme was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Patient Zero is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio.